Sometimes, a player can embody a generation. They can set the bar for where a country is at in terms of their production and their perception to the rest of the world. They may not be the most technically gifted, or even the most prolific, but they embody a feeling that is far greater than they simply offer on the pitch. In Paraguay, about 10 years ago, that player was Salvador Cabanas. At the time, he didn't have the same crazy cult status enjoyed by Jose Luis Chilever, and wasn't as well known on the world stage as Roque Santa Cruz. But the man who was built like a bull, and nicknamed Shava, was a man who made the national team tick. By playing like he had a dagger between his teeth, this aggressive frontman, who'd made a name for himself in South and Central America, was about to take the planet by storm as the 2010 World Cup approached and Paraguay were armed with what was perhaps their most technically gifted squad in a long time. However, a life-changing event was lurking, waiting to change the course of Cabanas' life for good. The time is approaching midnight and a full moon can be seen from the window. It's the perfect night for tales of true crime and in this instance, second chances. And this week, goals, Mexican nightclubs and chance encounters make up the show. This is the dead ball situation. It's not uncommon for players to do the rounds across South America before they settle somewhere. That's what happened to Salvador Cabanas. Born in Asuncion in the summer of 1980, the precocious forward flitted between playing up front and on the wing, combining his flair in front of goal with a tenacious work rate while coming through the youth system in Paraguay's younger leagues. In 1998, with the country still on a high from their first appearance at a World Cup in 12 years, the 18-year-old Cabanas had proved to his coaches at his local club, 12th of October, that he was ready to step up into the first team. Over the past year, he'd come close and gained several caps for his country at youth level. The club needed a different approach, and coach Alicio Sololinde decided to throw him into the mix. The gamble paid off, and he scored 17 goals in his first season as a pro. This kid had talent, but he was shipped out on loan to a club on the outskirts of Asuncion called Guarani. His stint there wasn't as fruitful, but it was enough to convince Chilean side Alda Italiano to take a punt on him. Here, his career took off. In two years, he found the net on 29 occasions in 53 appearances. Silverware escaped him, but it was clear that he was too good to stay in Chile. In the 90s, for players not at top clubs, if you couldn't get a move to Europe, the move to Mexico was the next best thing. And in 2003, he got his chance in Liga MX with Chiapas. La Bestia had joined La Bestia before the 2003 Apertura tournament and his first season he'd hit a modest five goals in 18 games, having spent most of the time on the wink. But in the 2004 Clausera, he came into his own in front of goal and bagged 15 in 20. That season, he earned his first call-up to the national team. Alongside Roque Santa Cruz, Paraguay now had a technical striker able to capitalise on any inch given to him by his opponents, and a striker capable of getting those inches through his physical approach and work rate. Cabanas' career in Mexico went from strength to strength. The goals kept coming at Chiapas, and he even started getting on the score sheet for his country. He missed the boat in getting off the bench at Paraguay's disappointing World Cup campaign in 2006, 
that something big was on the horizon. During the previous season, Club America, based in Mexico City, had been casting admiring glances his way. And once he was back from Germany, well, they snapped him up. He wasted no time in repaying their faith. Cabanas became the club's most prolific goalscorer in 2007. He finished the first half of the year with an impressive 19 goals. And that year he also became the leading goalscorer in the Copa Libertadores, finding the net on 10 occasions. And he added to his tally in both the North American Superliga and the Copa Sudamericana. Another 9 goals in Liga MX, and that took his tally for his first year in Mexico up to 33. Not bad. Over the summer, he began to really hit his stride for the national team. At the Copa America, he hit two goals in a 5-0 demolishing of Colombia and bagged another in a 3-1 victory over the United States. But he was powerless to stop them crashing out in the quarterfinals to his adopted country, Mexico, in an embarrassing 6-0 defeat. At the end of the year, he was named as both the Paraguayan Footballer of the Year and South American Footballer of the Year. He carried on that form into 2008, beginning both domestic and international campaigns on the goal trail. He was unstoppable, and he was enjoying all the riches Mexico City had to offer a footballer. Life, right now, was pretty sweet. Another 23 goals for his club in 2008, but another season without silverware. Club America had signed him off the back of winning the CONCACAF Champions League, but the trophies were quickly drying up. But while the club were lagging behind in terms of title races, he continued to terrorise defences across all of South America. Soon enough, there was talk of a move to Europe, the Premier League in particular. Sunderland was said to be interested and had sounded out Club America over a deal. The Mexicans waved off the reports, but deep down, they knew they wouldn't be able to hold on to him for much longer. Cabanas wanted it too. The January transfer window in 2010 was fast approaching. It was likely that he'd stay until the summer at least, but England was calling. He was 29 now, and after reaching over 100 goals for Club America in just three seasons, it was now or never. Paraguay had qualified for the upcoming World Cup in South Africa. He'd finished as the top goalscorer in the qualifiers with six goals, naturally. He was in his peak. But as the calendar year ticked over into 2010, he had no idea that all those plans were about to fly out the window in less than a month, as a chance encounter was about to not only alter his career, but alter his life immeasurably. On January 24th, 2010, Cabanas lined up in what would be his last game for Club America, though he didn't know it, as the side went down to a 2-0 defeat to Morelia. The team were given the next few days off, so on the 25th, Cabanas and his wife hit a nightclub in downtown Mexico called Baba. All night, well-wishers and fans were coming up to him to pat him on the back and ask for pictures. Salvador was happy to oblige. But something was bothering him. There was a man sat on the other side of the club who kept staring at him. It was making him uneasy. He went to the bathroom, but this stranger followed him. And before Salvador could shake his dick dry... He turned round and the stranger was pointing a gun in his face. At first he thought he was being robbed, but the longer he looked at this gun-toting lunatic, the more he recognised him. This was Jose George Balderas Garza, also known as Jade. He was a major player in the Beltran Leva drug cartel, 
Martin Salvador knew that with people like this and a gun at your head, you're usually on borrowed time. But he played it cool. He wasn't going to be intimidated. JJ wasn't asking for his wallet, though he was asking Salvador what he was doing here, in Mexico, taking a job from under the nose of another Mexican. Why didn't he go back home to Paraguay? Why did he think he belonged here? He started to insult me, and suddenly he took out a gun, Salvador said. He pointed it at me and told me, I am JJ, the most wanted drug dealer, and today is your last day, because you're going to die. You're stealing from us, the Mexicans, and today is your last day. Salvador tried to explain that he was there out of merit and that he'd been banging in goals for fun, bringing a lot of joy to the Mexican people in the process. He wasn't sponging a living. I said, why? I came here to work because I need the money. He said, no, you're making much money and you're taking it to Paraguay. We're in need and working for you, Salvador said. Things got heated. Another man joined in and stood beside JJ. It was his bodyguard and he blocked the door. Now it was just the three of them. The encounter had been going on for half an hour and JJ had kept his gun trained at Salvador's head the entire time. Salvador was beginning to lose his patience and said, Well, what are you waiting for? At that moment, JJ pulled the trigger and sent a bullet at point-blank range through Salvador Cabanis's head. JJ and his bodyguard fled the club. Revelers knew something was up, and they found Salvador on the bathroom floor, slowly bleeding out. He was rushed to the hospital and received a craniotomy. But once inside, doctors decided that it was too risky to proceed, and the bullet was not extracted. He was left in a coma for about a month. It looked as though he'd survive, but doctors weren't sure about what his quality of life would be. But then in February, he woke up. He claimed that he'd had an out-of-body experience, and that he'd met God, who told him that now wasn't his time, and that he still had work to do on Earth before joining him in heaven. Salvador said that God touched him on the spot where he'd been shot in the head, and that's when he woke up. He left intensive care in February, and appeared to be recovering well, and even spoke of his desire to return to the Paraguay squad in time to make it for the World Cup that summer. But things weren't going to be that simple. His vision was still blurred, and his memory wasn't great, and he had trouble balancing. Despite being able to get up and walk around, he was going to need a lot of intensive physiotherapy before he was even able to think about kicking a ball again. For the time being, the World Cup dream was dead. A year later, and still no arrests had been made over the assault. JJ had fled, and knowing the gravity of gunning down one of the most prominent footballers in the country, he went into hiding. But on January 19th, 2011, almost a year to the day of the attack, JJ, along with six others, was arrested in an upmarket Mexico City neighbourhood by Mexico's anti-drug unit. In his possession, police found an astonishing array of weaponry and illegal drugs. A photo shoot was set up where the police showed off their latest capture and the group of the assembled press photographers. Finally, this case could get somewhere. JJ at first tried to pin the shooting on his bodyguard, Francisco Barreto Garcia, and claimed that he and Salvador were friends, but the police weren't buying it, and neither was Salvador's legal team. But the government had JJ on drug charges, though, and would proceed to prosecute down that route, but more on him later. 
Salvador spent the summer watching the World Cup in frustration. He was meant to be a part of the squad that was considered by many at home to be the most talented generation of players the country had ever produced. He watched as they ran out group winners of Group F ahead of Slovakia, New Zealand and heavyweights Italy. He felt that he could have helped his teammates get past Japan in regular time instead of having to win in a nail-biting penalty shootout. And he would have relished the chance to terrorise the Spanish defence that knocked them out in a 1-0 win in the quarterfinals. It was torture. He'd been robbed of his career and he'd only just turned 30 that summer. He knew if he could get fit again, he'd have something to offer. But it was going to be a tall order. He hit the gym and he hit the training ground, finally getting the ball at his feet again. The hard work would start here and he wasn't going to quit until he got another opportunity. And miraculously, that opportunity came in the shape of his former club, 12th of October. Two years after he'd been shot at point-blank range in the head, he signed with the team that gave him this first break in the game. He'd have to wait three months to make his debut though, and when he did, he could only last 40 minutes. But it didn't matter. He'd done it. He'd returned after being so close to death, when nobody said he could. October won that game 2-0, and that summer, the club won promotion from the third division to the second. During the off-season, he received an invitation to return to Mexico in a half-time memorial appearance for Chiapas in in a Liga MX match against Pumas. He received a standing ovation from the crowd at half-time, and the Jaguares later went on to win that match 3-0. But he stayed with October for the following season and played a handful of games in what proved to be another promotion charge. In the following January, he announced a tentative retirement. He received another offer from Mexican second division side Merchilegos FC, but at the start of February, signed a new deal with October. Flash forward to 16th of February 2014, the day that Cabanas was meant to make his debut against Cerro Porteño in round one of the 2014 Paraguayan Premier Division season. It was announced by a club spokesman that Cabanas would not be taking part in the competition due to his low form. The spokesman stated that Cabanas was out of physical form and discarded from the Torneo Apertura, but would continue to participate in the club's training sessions. It was clear that Salvador wasn't the player that he used to be. His vision and balance had been severely affected by the bullet that was still lodged in his brain, and in March 2014, his contract with October was terminated by mutual consent. And it was announced that he'd signed a three-month contract with Sao Paulo Serie B, which is the equivalent to the state fourth division, a side there called Tanabi Esporte Club. But in typical fashion, after making his debut and missing a penalty, he lasted just one month. The club's owner had hailed his signing as a significant financial coup, but Salvador knew that he wouldn't be of any use if he couldn't get his game back on track. He had one final hurrah with Independiente Football Club of Pedro Juan Caballero in the Paraguayan top flight, but again, it didn't last long. And later that summer, he brought the curtain down on his playing career for good. What followed, though, was a difficult time in Salvador's story. He split from his wife, who he claims didn't support him as she should have done through his recovery. There was talk of bank accounts that he didn't have access to any longer, and he moved back in with his parents and began working in their bakery in the centre of Itagua. But football wouldn't forget him completely, 
and he now helps coach youngsters at a football academy in a nearby town called Capita. As for JJ, he's still in prison. In June 2018, Edgar Valdez Villarreal, also known as La Barbie, was arrested and sentenced to 49 years in an American prison. He was an important figure in the Beltran labor cartel too, and confessed to hiding JJ in his office in Atizapan for three months until the heat died down. Well, what happened? I ended up saying that he was not in the street, and that's what he said, that's what happened, Lebarbi said. I scolded him, but he had already done things. They were friends, but as they were talking that day, he began to plead. I put him in my office in Atizapan, where he stayed for like three months. He also claimed that JJ and Cabanas were friends, but either way, no one deserved to be shot in the head, whether Salvador had links to the Mexican underworld or not. It's hard not to feel bad for Salvador. He was a talented player who was well-liked by fans and teammates. But if anything, this story should be viewed as proof that nothing is impossible. What a crazy story. I remember Salvador Cabanas as a player and admiring what I saw of him. Paraguay were always one of those countries that looked threatening in tournaments and they had some really great players. Salvador claims that just before he was shot, he had a 1.7 million deal agreed to take him to Manchester United. I remember him being linked with Sunderland, but I never knew United were in for him. I had signed a pre-contract agreement for $1.7 million for a transfer to Europe he said in an interview on Paraguayan television station Telefuturo. They told me my destination would be Manchester United. Club America doubled my salary and gave me one apartment in Acapulco and another in Cancun to try and keep me at the club. Now I'm not saying this isn't true, but $1.7 million is less than a million pounds. Quite a bit less, or it was at the time. And for a 29-year-old striker at the top of his game, coming from Mexico's biggest club, that's got to be bargain of the century, hasn't it? But more than anything, I'm glad he survived and he's able to thrive again. It sounds like the years after the incident were tough and full of mixed fortunes, but he sounds content and happy now. There's a nice interview with him that I found on YouTube that I'll put a link to when the show goes live and you can see for yourself. As always... Thank you for tuning in to the penultimate episode even of season one. Your support has been most appreciated. I know I say this every week, but if you could leave a rating and a review, wherever you've listened to this, it really would help the show reach more people. And if you know someone who might like the show as well, send it their way. Sharing is caring, guys. So I'll be back at the same time next week with one more story before taking a little break. So I'll speak to you then. Yeah.